For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de esa mejor cerveza y 818 es la mejor tequila. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito San Dieguito, a.k.a. Bobby Ball, a.k.a. Bobby Barrels. Not with us today, but dead or alive, we properly salute our boy. Yes, 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 yes. Woo! Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are. That's right, class. We're fucking useless. A very pleasant good morning to you on the 17th day of October 2023. This is the Deuces Wild Daily Hustle, officially. A way to keep all of our uh, newfound, I'd say followers, subscribers, whatever you want to call it, engaged on a daily basis as Thrill and I continue to produce content at the very least once a week. Now, I have a feeling the more we get rolling and the more this continues to gain steam, the more Will will want to do. And if the communication between the two of us is any indication of how often he actually wants to be on here, that's a good thing. Because as soon as the sun came up this morning, boom, there were the texts from Thrill. Fired up about tonight's show. There are things that he wants to talk about in regards to what's happening with the current series with the Phillies and the Diamondbacks last night, as well as the Astros and the Rangers. Will is tight with both Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy. Now, the Rangers are in fuego right now. This is a team that looks to be on a mission. I would caution everybody, though. The Houston Astros have been there and done that before. This is a team that has had all sorts of success on the road. And as a matter of fact, and I'm pretty sure the statistics say this, they've been better on the road than they have at home, even in the postseason. So. This series is not over, like not even the littlest bit. But the Rangers will have Max Scherzer, a former teammate of mine, going game three. Dude's a fucking savage. We know this. How he is going to be, 
I can't tell you. He was struggling before he got hurt. He got hurt. He's taken at least a month off, even more. He's back. He's ready to go. We know he loves the spotlight. So look out for an epic battle coming up here on Wednesday. I believe that series resumes. Tonight, you'll have game two of the National League Championship Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Arizona Diamondbacks. My initial thoughts on last night's game was, Zach Gallen, I love you. Absolute stud. What the fuck are we doing? Throwing cock shots to Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper. You just can't do it, dude. You know that. I know that. Tori Lavella knows that. We'll learn. And I'm sure he wasn't trying to. But let this be a lesson. When you have a Kyle Schwarber, when you have a Bryce Harper, you have a Trey Turner even, they're all really good hitters. I'm going to explain to you a very simple way to pitch great hitters. You ready? Hard in, underneath the hands, soft away. Hard in, soft away. Hard in, soft away. Hard in, soft away. Repeat over and over and over and over again. And then, if you have good ride on your fastball, you could try to sneak one up in the zone and get a swing and miss there. That's okay. But the first pitch fastball away on the outer third, for the history of time by great hitters, it is going to get fucking pounded. Period. That's it. There's no way you're going to be able to get away with that pitch. So the Phillies took advantage. Nick Castellanos. Nicky C. Another homer for the Phils as well. The Diamondbacks showed some life. They had some fight. As a matter of fact, they had one out and a runner on in that last inning. And there was a ball that was actually called a strike. And the ball should have been ball four. It wasn't. Instead, the next pitch, they hit him do a double play. If I'm Major League Baseball and I'm watching this, that's an atrocity. It is a complete and total fucking joke that we have this technology and right here, you take the most pivotal part of the game and you screw one call up. And I'm not even blaming the umpire. They don't know. They're guessing out there. They're hoping what they call is right. They're not trying to look like idiots. But here it is called a strike when it's a ball. There would have been two guys on and one out. The Diamondbacks were only down two. That was it. Just two. So they had a chance. The tying run would have been on base. The winning run would have been coming to the plate. But because of one call, just one. That was fucked up. The game was over on the next pitch. It's troubling that we have not implemented an automated strike zone by now. 
It really is. It's sad. It's ignorant. It's irresponsible. Just dumb. No other way to put it. Baseball, it evolves. We know this. And Commissioner Manfred has done a really good job in evolving the game. He has pushed this thing forward. He has. Say what you want, whether you like him or not. He's made some very proactive changes in the game. This is the next one that needs to come. And it's it cannot come soon enough. I would implement it today, as a matter of fact. Now, look. The best way to do it and just get it going so we can have this issue resolved and we're not going to have what happened last night happen again. Let's do a challenge system. That's it. And you can only challenge on a strike three or a ball four. That's it. So let the umpires call it. Then we have our challenge system. If it's a strike three call or a ball four, I'm not challenging a first pitch. I won't do it. It's, it's just, it becomes tedious, too much time. We're already saving 20 plus minutes a game because of the pitch clock. If we're saving that much time already, like, I don't care if this adds an extra five minutes to the game. Baseball needs it. So, hopefully, something will be done about that ASAP. I know they did have some kind of challenge system in AAA this year. If you ask me what I really want, it's for the automated zone to simply call balls and strikes. Every every one of them. Why, why, when you have that technology, would you not want to do that? I don't know. Right now, I'm just begging for baby steps. And this is basically what I am hoping for. Okay, a few things here. October 17th is just got a day of infamy. I mean, I'm like going Pearl Harbor on us, but it's a day that in my life, in my lifetime was that day of, of infamy. It was the day that I'll never forget. I mean, still standing here talking to you guys this morning. I could tell you exactly where I was. I could tell you exactly who I was with. I, Kevin Cuomo's house. And we were playing in John Gall's cul-de-sac. The funny thing is, I don't think Gall was with us. It was myself, Joe Cavanaugh, Kevin Quemmels, Brian Seidensall. We were having a two-on-two game of wiffle ball. Dana might have been there as well in his Boston Red Sox starter jacket. That thing was sick. So here we are. We're playing wiffle ball. And all of a sudden... I feel a wave come through the ground. It's like, whoa, what is that? And then all of us sort of simultaneously, it's like earthquake. We dealt with them before. We'd all done the duck and covers in class, but we had never felt anything like this. A normal earthquake is like, this one was, whoa, whoa. And I didn't know what to think of it. But we all kind of looked at each other. And it was like, dude, it feels like we're surfing, man. Bunch of 12, 13-year-old kids. Like, this is cool. 
And then it got so intense that we had to take our hands and put them on the ground just to stay stable. The Loma Prieta quake ran along the San Andreas fault line. The San Andreas fault went right through exactly where we were. So however intense it was in San Francisco at Candlestick Park or elsewhere around the Bay Area, we were very close to the epicenter, which was in the Santa Cruz Mountains just south. So if you follow the Santa Cruz Mountains north, probably about 30 miles is exactly where we were. When this whole thing went down, I, you know, like normal kids were like, what, you know, whatever, like, let's, let's keep playing. We were more concerned about making sure we got first pitch. And I think first pitch was supposed to be about 530, maybe 515. And it was 506, I believe, is when the quake hit. And so right after it, I'm like, yeah, hopping on, hop on the, the, the rock hopper, the yellow specialized rock hopper. This thing was sick. And I'm going home. I had a good, I don't know, it was five miles, but pretty damn close. They hadn't had to go up a hill. It probably was. It was probably four or five miles to home. And then went up the hill and I did feel maybe because I was on my bike, I didn't feel the aftershocks, but then I got home. And by this time, let's call it almost six o'clock. And I was like frantic because I wanted to turn the world series on. And to my knowledge, this obviously What's happening? Like, they're not canceling the World Series. I don't know. We just had a little earthquake. That was it. Well, when I got home, I knew something was up. Because as night fell, we had no electricity. The house at 302 Old Hunter Road was in complete and total fucking ruins. Not the structure of the house, but everything inside. It looked like, and I actually even thought this for a second. That we've been robbed. All of the cabinets knocked over. All of the pictures off the wall. There was not one thing left on the wall. My parents weren't home. And I'm like, okay. Oh, geez. What'd I do? So I grabbed the transistor radio. I remember going outside and pulling the antennas up. And just sitting in this one little area. Where we get the best reception. Where I used to go listen to Giants games. And that's when I got the news. World Series postponed. Bay Bridge Bridge, collapsed. Cypress Freeway collapsed. Marina District on fire. I'm sure like a lot of other families who were separated from their loved ones at the time. I'll never forget that feeling through my body. I I didn't know where my dad was. I didn't know where my mom was. Back in the day, it was, I don't know. I mean, it was October, so I'm assuming we were playing flag football. So after school, probably had flag football practice. After flag football practice, we went to Quelmos's house. We were going to play some wiffle ball, and then I know I was going to get home and watch the World Series at home, have some dinner, and 
go to bed, wake up, repeat. I mean, that was a really simple, really cool time in my life. And my dad, who would work at Acoustalite, ceiling and lighting company, he was constantly traveling. So at this point, I don't know if he was still in sales or he kind of got into more upper management stuff, but he was always moving and shaking right all over the Bay Area. Was he on the Bay Bridge? Was he on that Cypress Freeway that collapsed? Was he one of those cars and one of those people? And it was just like, now my mom, I guess my sister would have been a freshman at St. Francis. So I think, I guess at that point, she would have been picking my sister up from tennis practice. And so I, I knew this, but we weren't connected back then the way we are now. We had no text messaging. We had no cell phones. Some of us had a pager. I don't think at the time I did have a pager. We communicate through landline. Well, our landline didn't work. No calls in, no calls out. So here I was having really no clue what to do. And I basically said, okay, I got to do fucking something. Started cleaning up some of the stuff as quickly as possible. Just the big cabinet stuff, just semi-piecing together the house. And then I was getting dark we would dealt with outages before. So we had candles, a bunch of candles around the house. So I just lit every candle around the house and started a fire and sat there waiting for the family to get home. And I, I felt like it was within an hour, a couple hours, at least both my mom, my dad, my sister were, were all home, but it was a really difficult time. And then those next eight days, I say eight days only because the A's, End up going down to Scottsdale to continue training. This is something I've talked to Will Clark about extensively. While the Giants stayed in the Bay Area and actually worked out, I think at Candlestick. I mean, I don't know where else they would have. We'll ask Thrill that tonight. But I do know the Giants were also really active in the community, doing whatever they could. And Will took great pride in that. But then eight days later, the series resumes. The A's finish off the sweep. Baseball is not life. And this was all written in the Daily Hustle email. I just kind of figured that I'm going to, if I could tell this story, instead of scripting it, it's usually comes across a little bit better. It gives me a little more freedom to expand on some of these things I wanted to expand upon. But if you haven't signed up for the Daily Hustle email, it goes out. I just sent it out right before this. It goes out each and every morning now that I'll be doing the Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. But I, I pretty much just explain that baseball is life was a mantra. There was even shirts back in the day. Right about that time, too. I was like 13. Like, baseball's life. I remember my mom getting me the shirt. And... This was a real big reminder, as although I did think baseball was live, the World Series was everything. Now we start talking 
life and death and you're seeing this destruction and everything happen right in front of you, it's scary. So baseball is obviously not life. But eight days later, when the World Series resumed, yeah. Baseball wasn't life, but it brought life. And it brought hope. And it brought a community back together. It unified the entire San Francisco Bay Area region. If just for a brief moment in time, but it was an escape for everyone that went through that difficult period. So sports are an outlet. And sometimes it can be an outlet that are way more significant and way more impactful than the actual game. I don't know if it's from a metaphorical sort of thing, but really what they do is they bring people together. In a lonely time, and I know what that lonely time felt like of being there at home by myself. And I was scared. It's the fucking most scared I've ever been still to this day. If there's one day I look back upon my life, it's like, what was the scariest time? That was it. That 100% was it. And to reconnect or connect with the people and the fans of, and it didn't matter if you were a giants fan. It didn't matter if you were an ace fan. It didn't matter if you were wearing one of those caps that split it. It was a, it was a day that it was tough. It was really tough, but I like to not look back and dwell on what it was. It's per spera out straw through hardship to the stars. Where did we go from there? And the Bay area takes a lot of shit. Politics are fucked up. You know, there's countless things we could complain about the San Francisco Bay area. That was a, a time where I could definitely say I was proud to be from there. And I still am. And I don't, I don't want to run from the problems. I, I, if anything, I wanted, I want to help and I want to make it better. But that was a time that definitely, I think, you know, we all could say that we were proud to, to be from there and the way it was rebuilt and the way we, Unified. So, all right. Uh, as I mentioned, the Rangers rolled last night and they hold off the Astros late surge in game two. They have a two nothing lead now. And it was prompted by a four run first inning. The article here is from the athletic. And it says Houston only four minutes had elapsed between the Framber Valdez began his first pitch delivery and the moment when the scoreboard read 2-0 with two more Texas Rangers on base. That is how quickly Game 2 of the American League Championship Series seemed to be imploding for the Houston Astros uh, on Monday afternoon at Minute Maid Park. This so is a postseason drama lives in spaces between every pitch. The difference between the first inning and the ninth Monday was immense. On the way... To an eventual 5-4 victory, the Rangers remained on their feet through perilous jams, deafening home runs, and a cardiac bullpen that keeps bending 
but has yet to fully crumble in the postseason. Abysmal as the first inning was a defending champion Astros remain competitive thanks to home runs from two of their most potent hitters. It was Joran Alvarez putting the Astros on the board in the second inning when he demolished Nathan Volley fastball down the middle. Uh, it was the fifth home run this postseason for the Astros, middle of the order force, and there would be more of Alvarez wretched come. Alex Bregman hit a home run off the left field foul pole to reinvigorate the Houston crowd, as well as Bregman's 17th career postseason home run. Holy shit. Uh, we have to start talking about him as one of the greatest postseason players ever. More than any third baseman in Major League history. Third baseman, I mean, who's got more than 17 career postseason home runs? Big Poppy? There can't be too many. Houston has been there and done this before. That's the big thing. That's kind of how I, I started, you know, the show off. Houston's not tripping. Don't get me wrong. They're looking at this like, I got to believe, fuck it. We have nothing to lose. You're the defending champs. You had a fantastic year. You took the West title down again with a miraculous run at the end. You're facing the Rangers, who you dominated during the regular season. Dominated them. Whatever. You're going on the road. You play well on the road. Fear the man that has nothing to lose. Fear the team that has nothing to lose. I don't think the Astros have anything to lose here. If they lose to the Rangers, this is a feel-good story for the state of Texas. This is a feel-good story for Bruce Bochy. Feel-good story for Chris Young. Feel-good story for Nathan Evaldi. Feel-good story for Marcus Simeon. Corey Seager. Max Scherzer. We'll see how he does in game three. But the Rangers have a plethora of storylines that I think America can get behind. Everybody hates the Astros, unless you're an Astros fan and you're my kid. I don't hate the Astros. I like the Astros. I love D Dusty Baker, too. But this is put up or shut up time for them. But I want to caution Ranger fans and other baseball fans if you think this thing's done. It's not, not even fucking close. Rangers take game three look out. That's pretty much cements it, right? We shall see what happens. Um, let's see here. As far as the National League is concerned, that Philly ambush was predictable, as could be. I just don't get or understand how or why the Diamondbacks won't look at that. And Dan Heron, real good buddy of mine, pickleball partner. He's a pitching strategist. There's no way he's like, yo, let's go first pitch fastball, Kyle Schwarber middle away. Dude, the guy's got the ability to hit the ball out of all parts of the ballpark. I literally foul pull a foul pull. He's a huge swing and miss guy. So elevated fastballs, breaking balls in the dirt. That's it. Don't fuck with him. And it's not like he's this great base runner. If you put him on, you put him on. The strategy the Diamondbacks had was not good. Now, whether or not it comes to execution and the strategy was fine, I, I don't know. I 
kind of felt that Tori Lavello sense that is like, dude, we're not, we weren't trying to do this. And I felt for him a little bit. They asked him about Zach Gallen. And the reporter actually said, hey, so Zach Gallen, he settled down after that first seating, gave up the couple of homers. You know, your thoughts on, on, you know, how he looked. He's like, he could do better. That's the belief that they have in Zach Gallen. So tonight's matchup. Let's take a look at this thing. Ah, it is going to be. Forgive the awkward pauses as the iPad loads. It's going to be Merrill Kelly against Aaron Nola. Both have been fantastic in the postseason. Aaron Nola did not have a great regular season, but he's two and zero with a one four two ERA in the postseason. Merrill Kelly is one and zero with a zero point zero zero. ERA. The official game time tonight will be 5.07 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, right at the anniversary of the earthquake. Okay. Moving on once again. Tim Flannery, an absolute gem of a human being. I had the opportunity to work with him at no filter network. He was a guy that whenever we were playing against whatever team he was coaching with, I would be bullshitting with him all the time. Just a dude, a surfer. Santa, I, he's got his, the ranch down near Santa Barbara. Is a guy that's not afraid of the hippie lettuce. I told this story last week. Let this be a reminder for Henry to go try to pull this up. But Flan actually gave me a gummy before I went on air one time at MLB Network. He's like, oh, dude, take one of these. It's just, it'll lock you in. I took this gummy. I couldn't talk. I, I could not talk for a fucking hour. I could not. I just went into this weird special place, man. And I was on air just like, I mean, it was it was a trip, but Flan has been very vocal in. I I don't know what you want to call it, the old school versus new school. It's never been a bigger issue. It, it it's something that is discussed each and every single day. We discuss all the time on No Filler Network. You got the old school versus new school. You got. These guys like a Bruce Bochy and a Dusty Baker. And then you have some of the new school uh, managers that are out there. I mean, it's definitely not uh, Rob Thompson. It's not Tori Lavello. I guess you could say maybe Tori Lavello a little bit. But of the four remaining, I would say all four are, are pretty old school. Well, Flan had some tweets. And one of the tweets was this one right here. Look at this. It is so epic. He's got two doobies in his mouth. And he says, looking forward to today's playoff games and hearing 
how none of us who played and coached forever know anything about what goes on in the clubhouse or on the bench. You want to see, quote, launch angle? Well, here it is. As he's launching into space right there with two joints. The other one that he had that got thousands and thousands of likes. No fancy made-up metrics. No trying to explain BABIP or launch angle or exit velocity. Their numbers aren't made up in a laboratory by people who never have played catch. They earned every callus, every scar, every ring. Good luck, legends. And it's a picture of Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy with all of their accolades. Over 2,000 regular season wins apiece. Uh, 26 years apiece as manager as well. 54 postseason wins for Dusty. 49 for Bruce Bochy. Three pennants for Dusty. Four for Bruce Bochy. One World Series title for Dusty, three for Bruce Bochy. Two very similar managerial careers. Like Flan said, two legends going at it. So on that note, I'm going to transition here to the San Francisco Giants in their managerial search. Apparently, they've interviewed some in-house candidates, and one of the in-house candidates that they've interviewed was Alyssa Nakin. She formerly interviewed for the San Francisco Giants job. Now, Alyssa was a softball player at Sac State. She then got into working as an intern for the San Francisco Giants. She used to run the Giants race, which is a huge fundraiser for the Giants community fund. She was somebody that obviously knows her baseball, impressed people internally, and had various roles. And eventually in 2020, they hired her on as a, a coach. So she was in uniform. And look, the article here, I'm just sort of paraphrased, but she's had visions of wanting to coach on field. She's had visions of, of wanting to manage. She's actually been put into a game. She was a first base coach for several spring training games. She made her debut in a big league game. I believe it was the first female on-field coach uh, ever after the Giants' first base coach had gotten thrown out of the game. Well, Alyssa Nakin interviewed for the managerial job. She is the first known female to be interviewed for a manager position. Awesome. Super cool. You listen to her interview and everything. She says all the right things. I wonder if they're serious about hiring Alyssa, and they may be. I don't know. Or is this semantics? Is this to appease what they feel is their audience base? In San Francisco, which outsiders would probably consider woke. And this is just fulfilling their moral obligation. I Look, I, I don't have the answers to this. I know that I have a lot of respect for Alyssa. And 
I love the fact that she wants to coach or manage. She's currently pregnant, which <laughs> raises a, a little bit of an issue. Alyssa is also 33 years old. So AJ Hinch took over the Arizona Diamondbacks at 34 years old. I was on that Diamondbacks team. I believe I was 31, maybe 32 at the time. It was fucking weird. This was my former recruiting host at Stanford. This was a guy that I played with in the minor leagues. This is uh, somebody that had worked with the Diamondbacks and who had signed me uh, to a contract, actually. So I had a longstanding relationship with AJ before he became the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. That alone, age alone, is, is an issue. Baseball players want to be led by people, number one, that have a little more age, a little bit more experience. And number two, they typically want to be led by people who have been there and done that before. This is the only issue, whether, and I don't care if she's female, I don't care if she's male, it doesn't bother me. And I do think, as a father of two girls, I love the progress that's being made here with females in coaching. But I will also tell you, if you want to be a baseball coach, you know what you got to do? You got to coach. If you want to be a baseball manager, you know what you got to do? You got to manage. So with limited, very limited coaching experience and with no managerial experience, I question what we're we trying to do here. I'm not going to go overboard. I'm not. I know some of you probably want me to. I'm going to keep it respectful because I do have a ton of respect for the Giants organization, for Alyssa, for the fact that she's even pregnant right now, for her as a coach and a contributor, her as a great person. Everything they talk about with Alyssa Nakin is that she's an awesome person. She is a helper. She's a giver. Even her comments are like, yeah, like whenever I feel out of place or I feel like I don't belong, I just I turn to the person next to me like, how can I help you? What can I do for you? That's the right mentality that you have to have. Well, there's two other girls that the Giants actually interviewed back in 2020. Rachel Balkovic, a hitting instructor for the New York Yankees system. Uh, Balkovic remained with the Yankees and just completed her second season as manager of the organization's low-A Tampa Tarpoons affiliate. Okay. Now we're talking about a path to potentially bring you to become a big league manager. That's real. If you want to manage, you got to manage. So for Alyssa, who seems like she's got a lot of shit going on in her life right now, I would go back and really kind of hammer home the fact to Giants upper management that if you want me to manage, like send me send me to San Jose. Sacramento, well, like whatever it takes. Let me figure out what this managing thing uh, is all about. And then 
There was another girl, Ronnie. Let's call it God's Gajonic. Gajonic. Let's try that. Is it G A J O W N I K? A former softball player at University of South Florida, as well as a women's national baseball team, just completed her first season managing a high A Hillsboro Hops in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. So, once again, just those two alone for the fact that they've managed, I think would be more qualified candidates than Alyssa at this time. Now, Alyssa might be the best of them, like legitimately. But if we're going to interview somebody for a managerial job, it just seems like a little bit of a fucking eyewash for me when that person has never managed before and doesn't have extensive experience in baseball. So I'll use Mark DeRosa as an example. DeRosa, obviously, longtime big league player, has been working in television pretty much ever since. Brilliant mind. Smart dude. Went to Penn. Managed Team USA. He would be a guy that I would consider one of the front runners for the San Francisco Giants job. Well, same sort of thing. Where it's like, okay, here's all these credentials. And when you go into interview for a managerial position, the first thing I'm looking at is, are, is this person going to be a, a good recruiter? Are you, and the Giants talked about this too. Are people, are other guys in free agency going to want to sign to come here to play? And not only that, is this person going to be able to get the most out of the player's ability? That's what matters. As well as a working, cohesive relationship with the front office. Well, look, I can't say with great conviction that if the Giants did hire Alyssa, she would be a great recruiting tool. I just don't see it. And on that note, if the Giants hired Ty Correa, who took over for Gabe Kapler, I can't see Kai Correa being a great recruiting tool. Players want to be led by guys who have been there and who have done it for the most part. There could be others that don't give a shit. And maybe that's the case. But the reason being, it's not personal. It's not a sexist thing. It's not a, well, you can't manage because you never played in the big leagues thing. It is simply, look, man, when I'm struggling and I'm over 20 and I'm dealing with all sorts of issues at home with my wife and uh, say, you know, my, our, our, our newborn baby and 
you're dealing with whatever else. Like you have all of these things happening that obviously happen in a major league baseball player's life. Well, when these things happen, it's nice to have Bob Melvin lend an ear. It's nice to be able to have a conversation with Bob Guerin and sit down and just be like, yo, man, like, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Like, I, I, I get it. Like I was quote unquote, the last cut and, you know, I should have showed up with a better attitude, but you know, I didn't like it was, this is a conversation Bob and I had in AAA and I like Bob, but fuck man, they told me to go to trip or they go, told me to go to Dominican. I go to Dominican. I, I win the MVP award. 2020 last year in AAA, like I, I'm having a really hard time thinking to myself, what more can I fucking do here? What more can I do? So Bob and I had this awesome conversation and Bob's like, look, so, you know, back when I was playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I dealt with. This is, you know, this, this one at bat I had, I just took Nolan Ryan deep, but like, and, and we're having this crazy dialect and he relates a scenario in which he had been, going up and down between the big leagues and the minor leagues. And it really resonated with me. And I'm like, all right, man, no, I got you. I got you. It was like, let's control what's within my control. Go out there, right attitude, right effort. That's all that fucking matters. And literally like less than a week later, I was back in the big leagues after hitting 900 for the week. These are the type of conversations that, I would love to have with an Alyssa Nakin or a Kai Correa, but the truth of the matter is that they don't have that experience. Kai Correa went to University of Puget Sound. I know his story. The Hawaiian dude seems like a great guy, seems very knowledgeable, very smart baseball guy. Totally get it, totally understand, can see why he was in the dugout. But I wholeheartedly believe there's a reason why when you look at who's winning right now and the four managers that are left are players, managers, guys that played the fucking game, guys that grinded through the process, guys that intellectually can learn whatever sort of analytics that they new school wants to implement in order to get the advantage. Yeah. Just, of course it's really important, but those who also understand that when somebody goes four for four with two bombs, they need to be in the fucking lineup the next day. They're not just looking at the paper. They're looking at the people. They're reading the room. They're having a feel. These are all things that I think in a perfect world need to be taken into account when writing a lineup, when deciding who's going to be on a roster and who's not going to be on a roster, when you're going to make that move, whatever number of pitches you're at, trying to figure out what that next person has left. These are all things that get really complicated. and. I commend Farhan and the Giants for being proactive in interviewing a woman for 
a managerial job. But once again, I would just let this be a, a really know, clear reminder for anybody in any walk of life. If you want to be a you want to be a manager, you got to fucking manage. You got to go manage somewhere. You can't just be the, uh, this coach, and I I don't even know what the official title is that she has. Like overall helper, I I don't know. But to go from that to managing just seems to me a little bit of a slap in the face too to some of the guys that have dedicated their lives to baseball and to playing and coaching and and managing. Like, let's just take Tim Flannery, for example. And not just because of his tweets or anything else. Fuck. Why wouldn't you look at him? Ron Wotus. Same sort of thing. What about Will Clark? My partner in crime. So we're going to interview Alyssa Nakin. We're going to interview Kai Correa. We're going to interview more people on their coaching staff that have zero fucking big league experience. Zero. Yeah, we're not going to interview Will Clark. Think about that. We're not going to interview Matt Williams. And I don't know. Maybe they are. I'm not privy to that information. Will hasn't said anything. This is not coming from him. We're not going to interview Bob Brantley. I mean, there's another one. Mark DeRosa. I don't, and I don't know. Maybe they are. Hunter Pence. Buster Posey. These are all guys that I thought would be perfect managerial candidates. Yet all I'm hearing so far is the fact that they're talking internally to these other coaches that were part of a 17-person coaching staff, which in my humble opinion is a complete and total waste of fucking time. There's way too many cooks in the kitchen. It's totally fucking diluted. You're coming off a dog shit season. Your defense is horrific. Your base running sucked. I I don't know what to say. I really don't. Other than if you want to interview them, fine. But I would also make sure I'd come out and tell, like, why Matt Williams should have already interviewed for the fucking job by now. He should have. Bob Melvin, there should be rumblings and talks about him leaving San Diego for San Francisco. I think they both want to part ways. I haven't talked to Bob at all. So this isn't any personal thing. But I bet you Bob Melvin would jump up to San Francisco in a hurry. And I have a feeling AJ Preller and the Padres would let him go. So, look, I, I like, I, I, I love the San Francisco Giants. Always have. I've been a big fan for, for a long time. I have friends in the organization, whether they work as special assistants or they're coaches or they're in upper, upper management ownership, actually. I would tell them the same thing. I'm not sharing anything right now that I wouldn't share with them. So 
just understand I'm going to use this platform to get that out there. And I can just tell you through my personal experience what I would want to play for and what I want and why somebody who has big league experience matters. Is it everything? Do they have to? No, but it does fucking matter. And it matters a lot. And mainly, you know who it matters to? The 25 guys in the locker room. They care. I don't care what bullshit they're trying to feed you. If you went ahead and polled anybody in the big leagues, I bet you 90%, 9 out of 10 guys would prefer a manager that played in the big leagues. 9 out of 10. At the very least, it might be 10 out of 10. And then I think you'd get about 50% would be like, yeah, if they didn't play in the big leagues, fine. But at least, I mean, I hope they played the minor leagues, right? And then it dwindles down to like no playing experience at all. Why the experience matters is because it's pretty simple. It's basically because through experience comes education. And when I know that I'm playing for somebody who's been educated and has gone through it before, that matters to me. And I know they can help, and I know I can lean on them in those times. And then when they make a tough decision to sit or start me one way or another, I can get behind what their decision was. And I can be like, okay, I respect that decision. So, look, I got to go. Way past my time here. But deuces wild with the thrill tonight during the Arizona Diamondbacks Phillies game. We'll have a game on the tube behind me. We will have this conversation. We will get deep into it. We will talk about the Rangers and the Astros series as well. But just food for thought, uh, we're going to be live and interactive. So tell your friends, let's communicate on this. I haven't opened up the chat this morning. I'm just so kind of Locked in everything else going on. Good morning, Stephen Luker. Jason, what's up, dude? John Emmanuel Ramos Henderson from Makati City. And all the rest of the Daily Hustlers, Deuces Wild Daily Hustlers, we now are going to call you guys. So we will see you tonight, 6.05 p.m. Pacific time. Will the Thrill Clark, with all of his unfiltered Thoughts. I can't wait to hear. Everyone have a fantastic day. A lot of love. That's it.